Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Keeping Pace with Immunotherapy Advances in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Global Perspectives, is provided by Agile and is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Anti-PD-1 or PDL one therapies such as pembrolizumab, nivolumab, atezolizumab, and dravalumab have become the standard of care for many non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer patients, either in first line and or in subsequent lines of therapy. But how do we select the best candidates for immunotherapy and which biomarkers have shown clinical value to help us inform when making these decisions? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Jyoti Patel. Joining me to discuss these issues are Dr. Hilberto Lopes and Dr. Kai Hay. Dr. Lopes, Dr. Hay, welcome to you both. To get us started, Dr. Lopes, what factors do we take into consideration in selecting first-line therapies for our patients? What patient factors, what biomarkers, how do we put this together to optimize treatment? Immunotherapy and especially combinations of immunotherapy with chemotherapy have become the main options we have for the treatment of most patients with non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer who do not have driver mutations. So that's the first factor we put in consideration. If patients have EGFR mutations, ALK translocations, ROS1 translocations, we usually do not start with immunotherapy or chemotherapy and immunotherapy, and we would use a specific tyrosinkinase inhibitor. For certain other mutations, we tend to prefer starting TKI as well, such as patients with a BRAF mutation. And for most other patients, we would consider using immunotherapy alone or chemotherapy with immunotherapy. PDL1 becomes an important biomarker. Those patients who have a PD1 greater than 50% have the opportunity or the option of receiving immunotherapy alone or also with the addition of chemotherapy. We have emerging biomarkers such as tumor mutational burden. And we also have clinical characteristics that we take in consideration. If patients have already taken a tyrosine kinase inhibitor such as ozimertinib, sometimes we would be worried about starting immunotherapy based on the high risk of development of pneumonitis in some of these patients. And we also take in consideration treatments that patients might have received before in the adjuvant setting or in the setting of treatment of locally advanced disease. So often the first time we meet a patient, we go over the data that we have. And more often than not, that usually includes having imaging studies showing that patient has metastatic disease and also a particular specific histologic diagnosis, but we don't necessarily have NGS results at our first visit for most patients. For these patients, we tend to make an assessment of how aggressive and how, how aggressive the disease is and how symptomatic the patients are so that we can make a determination if we need to start treatment right away or if we have time to wait for NGS results. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that discussion that addresses which immunotherapy agents alone or in combination should be utilized in the first-line setting of patients with advanced lung cancer. Turning to you now, Dr. Hay, how do you choose between these different regimens and options? The first-line treatment of uh, metastatic uh, non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer has been greatly changed in the last several years. We have single-agent immunotherapy and also have a immunotherapy combined with the chemotherapy. And uh, there's uh, multiple clinical trials and offer multiple options. 
we can start from the clinical trial keynote 189. It's a plantum agent plus hemitrixate with without pembrolizumab. This clearly showed in the patient with regardless of PDL1 expression level, they have chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab have a have a, a superior clinical outcome compared to chemotherapy alone. So this offer a, a great option for patient have a good performance status and can be tolerate chemo. On the, on the other side, so there's a, a keynote 024 and a keynote 042. In, in the general clinical practice, we usually want people have a high PDL1 expression. That means more than 50%. In my institution, we tend to use pembrolizumab itself. For PDL1 less than that, we usually tend to the regimen of keynote 189 as chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab. There is other option also available. For example, for clinical trial in power 159, for that particular trial, there's a combination of carboplatin plus paclitaxel plus atezolumab and plus bevacizumab. In that situation, that four drug combination we usually reserve that those um, options for people have a robust performance status. And also based on the trial subgroup analysis, those trials, including the patient have actionable mutation in EGFR and ALK. In the end of last year, it's based on Empower 130, this anti-PDL1 plus carboplatin plus a protein bound paclitaxel. In that clinical trial, the combination of anti-PDL1 and chemotherapy have a better outcome than chemotherapy alone. There's currently there's a checkmate two to seven trial that was nivolumab plus ipilimumab compared with the chemotherapy in that trial, and they meet their prime endpoint and in the PDL1 more than 1%. Currently, this uh, regimen is still being reviewed by FDA. There's other uh, option and clinical trial ongoing. For example, MISIC trial, that's including Druvalumab with without a Tremilimumab versus chemotherapy. So Dr. Lopes, now that we have a clear understanding of the relationship between the presence or absence of driver mutations, PDL1 status and other patient factors that go into selecting the most appropriate first line therapies. There are a number of emerging biomarkers that we're incorporating into our practice. Let's turn our attention to the concept of tumor mutational burden or TMB. What is it and how can we use it and how do we integrate it into our treatment decisions? As Dr. Patel mentioned, TMB, tumor mutational burden, is one of the main, maybe most important emerging biomarkers we have in our armamentarium. Tumor mutational burden has a few issues in terms of what thresholds we use, what the correct number would be. If we report the number of mutations per megabase or the total number of mutations per genome, and these are just some of the issues that we're trying to solve and trying to actually validate for clinical practice use. 
it's not currently something that we do use in most of our algorithms by the NCCN, the National Comprehensive Cancer Centers Network, but it is certain, certainly something that we do get results for. A higher TMD is associated with immunogenic tumor microenvironment. Those patients probably have increased expression of tumor-specific new antigens that can be targeted by active, activated immune cells, and that's likely why those patients have better outcomes and increased response rates, progression-free survival, and maybe overall survival than patients that have low TMB. Drawbacks include difficulties related to the sample quantity. We need more tumor tissue to be able to determine it. It also increases uh, turnaround time for our tests. And most importantly, we still do not have an universally accepted standard way of testing for TMB. And because of those uh, reasons, we still don't use TMB in most of our algorithms to select therapy, but that may change in the future. So if we look a little bit more at this relationship between tumor mutational burden and metastatic non-small cell lung cancer and efficacy of immunotherapies, what do we really know about efficacy across a number of agents, Dr. Hay? Yeah, almost each agent we are currently using has been studied with their particular relationship uh, correlation with the TMD. It started with the early on, I think Dr. Rat, uh, Ratley and, uh, and his colleague in 2015, 2016, they uh, studied the uh, efficacy of uh, pembrolizumab with the uh, tumor mutation burden. They clearly showed the response and correlation with a higher TMD. Uh, most recently for pembrolizumab, Keynote 158 data they reported last year at ASCO 2019. In 2017, Dr. Carbone and his colleague published the outcome for Checkmate 026, that's nivolumab versus chemotherapy in the first line setting. Follow up to those studies, there are several other studies used nivolumab or nivolumab plus ipinivolumab, particular on the Checkmate 227. That's the first phase three study in non-small cell lung cancer combine TMB as a co-primary endpoint. Beyond that, most recently in the uh, MYSTIC study, it's a duvalumab minus plus anti-CTL4. In that study also strongly suggests the utility of blood-based TMB measurement can correlate with a better outcome. And unfortunately, as our time is drawing to an end, perhaps you two could each offer thoughts on what are the key take-home messages that we should consider when we're thinking about first-line immunotherapy for patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. Hay, let's hear your takeaways first. I think most importantly, immunotherapy by itself or by combination become mainstay or standard care of first-line these four non-small cell lung cancer. Chemotherapy is not as a center of care anymore. Only the chemotherapy only reserved for some particular group of patients. Secondly, how we optimize all the combination, how we use all the biomarker to optimize the outcome, and how we manage for most of our patients, they will eventually progress over first line immunotherapy. How we prove the outcome of those particular group of patients it remains to be a challenge. That's great. Thank you, Dr. Hay. Dr. Lopes, anything else to add? Just that we still have a number of questions we need answers for and that we'll reach it by participating in clinical research. So always encouraging everybody out there to participate in our clinical trials. 
Well, with those comments in mind, I want to thank my guests, Dr. Hilberto Lopes and Dr. Kai Hay, for helping us better understand use of first-line immunotherapy in patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Dr. Lopes, Dr. Hay, it was really great speaking with both of you today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Patel. Thank you, Dr. Patel. Dr. Lopes. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Agile and is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash agile. Thank you for listening.